Hello and welcome to Historical Hysteria. My name is Nicholas Ward and today we are talking about nuclear annihilation. Again, for the last 75 years the world has asked the question why did the US drop the atom bomb in 1945 and could it have found another way? And since day one, the government and the military of the United States have claimed it was the lesser of two evils, that if the US had invaded Japan, it would have cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives. This has been the main argument by the US government, nationalist historians, and pop culture since 1945 to justify the evils of atomic warfare, which is why it came as a shock when the US declassified the United States Strategic Bombing Survey, a 1946 study by the Department of Defense on the effects of Allied bombing that said, quote, It cannot be said, however, that the atomic bomb convinced the leaders who affected the peace of the necessity to surrender. End quote. In other words, the atom bomb did not make Japan surrender. The military survey conducted in the immediate aftermath of the war concluded that the bombs did not convince the Japanese military that defense of the home islands was impossible and that the decision to surrender had effectively already been made. The document was classified and when in the late 70s it was declassified, it was filed incorrectly so that it was only discovered a decade later by accident. The fact the military in 1946 in a classified document looked at the facts on the ground and said, oh, that was totally unnecessary. That sounds pretty damning for this story. The discovery of this survey sparked a debate about the efficacy of the bombs and the reason given behind their use in historical circles. Since the 1980s, historians have presented point and counterpoint over the story, which still creates controversy today, even in unexpected circles. Conservapedia, a completely sane website whose goal was to make a conservative Wikipedia, says about questioning the traditional narrative of the bombs, quote, the argument assumes with no evidence Japan would have quickly surrendered, end quote. There's actually a lot of evidence presented, but um, like, you know, the Air Force study that said the bomb had no effect, conservapedia doesn't really bother addressing that though. But it's not just hippy-dippy, namby-pamby progressives asking inconvenient questions about the bombings, Peter Van Buren of the American Conservative wrote an article in 2017 titled Don't Whitewash the Hiroshima Bombings, and the alt-right circles have used it as an example of government manipulation in society. But even among those who decry the bombings, the story of the atom bomb being the lesser of two evils is still arguably the dominant social narrative in the Anglo world. Is that story nothing but a myth? How much of what we know about the most powerful weapons in history is a myth? To answer that question, the first question we have to ask is, if not the atom bomb, what really induced the Japanese to surrender? And it is here where things, as always, get complicated. Following 1945, the military and government continued to publicly back the lesser of two evils argument. Following 1945, the military and government continued to publicly back the lesser of two evils argument, saying that it was the only way to get the Japanese extremists to surrender. But behind closed doors, another story began to develop. Though the public challenge of the atom bomb narrative entered mainstream academia in the 1980s, another theory on Japan's surrender was put forward in the 1950s. This was called the Russian theory, arguing that Japan's decision to surrender was more influenced by Russia's entry into the war than the atomic bombs. This argument was controversial for a lot of reasons, not least because it was right in the middle of McCarthy when anything other than communism bad was considered tantamount to treason. This argument was largely overlooked and understudied for 30 years until the uncovering of the 1946 Strategic Bombing Survey. But after the discovery of this survey, many historians began poring over Japanese military documents, diplomatic cables, and allied intelligence, trying to piece together the mentality of the Japanese surrender on both sides. 
and the results were pretty stark. Even the most extreme and hardline of Japan's warmongering military acknowledged Japan was incapable of fighting the USSR as well as the Americans and the Brits. In spring 1944, the Supreme War Guidance Council was split between a pro-war faction made up of the military and a pro-surrender confederation of admirals, former prime ministers, and politicians. By late 1944, diplomatic cables from the Japanese foreign minister to Moscow said Japan faced utter destruction if the USSR did not renew its neutrality, instructing Japanese diplomats that they had to secure Soviet neutrality at all costs. The USSR ended its neutrality pact with Japan on August 8th and invaded occupied China the next day when the second atom bomb hit Nagasaki. On the night of August 9th, the emperor broke his silence about surrender and said he supported surrender on the Potsdam terms, which meant unconditional surrender. Six days later, Japan surrendered unconditionally. The Russian theory argues that the USSR entry into the war was, if not the reason for the Japanese surrender, at least as important as the atom bomb. Of course, the dominant Anglo narrative has always been the atom bombs broke the Japanese, so what do we know about the atom bombs and their effect on the Japanese? A surprising amount, it turns out. The 1946 Strategic Bombing Survey concluded that both from a strategic and psychological perspective, the atom bombing had been a failure, only being a small part of the Japanese psyche in the final days of the war. How can the most devastating weapons ever have been considered irrelevant? Well, possibly because the military and the government didn't know they had been hit by the most powerful weapon in history. In the aftermath of the bombing, most people on the ground assumed it was a standard bombing raid, and survivors who described the mushroom clouds were largely ignored as hysterical. Information about the bombing was little and far between, and the generals had no good reason for assuming something new had hit them. Possibly because the bombings of Nagasaki and Hiroshima weren't even the deadliest single bombing Japan had faced. On March 10th the same year, the firebombing of the Tokyo suburbs killed over 100,000 people, more than either atom bomb. The Strategic Bombing Survey concluded that a, quote, lack of understanding of the meaning of the new weapon in areas away from the target undoubtedly limited its demoralizing effects, end quote. It goes on to say that it wasn't until Truman's radio broadcast the following days that the Japanese government realised it, had it, it hadn't been a standard bombing raid. Which could mean there was a moment during the surrender process when the Americans swaggered in, started bragging about the atom bombs, and some Japanese were like, what? The survey went on to say that it was things like the deprivation of goods and food that had the greatest moral effect on the population and its leadership. Anyway. If we have to remove the atomic bomb from the psychological equation, that doesn't necessarily prove the Russian theory, because we still have the devastating effect of conventional bombings and the blockade of the home islands. It is this that the bombing survey claims brought America victory, that the Japanese have become demoralised from the lack of resources and the constant threat of bombardment. But for Japanese hardliners, the USSR had become a red line early in the war, and the idea that a conditional surrender was possible with the US and Britain but not against Russia was popular throughout the war. To back the Russian theory, historians have argued that Japan's conservative elite were almost paralysed by fear of the communists. Having cracked down hard on the left before the war, the idea of a communist takeover was worst case scenario as it likely would have seen the exile or execution of the emperor. Now who is right is and will forever be a matter of debate, though it is fairly unambiguous that the psychological effect of the atom bomb pushing Japan over the edge is a myth and has been since 1946. So the bomb did not alone cause Japan's surrender. 
But if we put aside the ethical question and the efficacy of the bombings, we are left asking, without hindsight, did the USA drop the bomb believing it was the lesser of two evils? Because that is the second half, and arguably the much more important half, of the current myth around the atom bombs. Now, the real reason behind why Japan surrendered certainly changes the popular story, but the Japanese cables, the ignorance of the bomb, the effects on high command, the division in the war council, in the fog of war, the Allies knew none of that. Right? So even if the bomb didn't end the war, did the Americans believe it was necessary to end it? The official line for 75 years is that the invasion of Japan would have cost hundreds of thousands of Allied lives, and millions of Japanese, so 200,000 was a small but awful price to pay for peace. In 1955, President Truman claimed in his memoirs that his generals put the estimated death toll for a home island invasion at half a million Americans dead. Something that must have come as quite a shock to his generals, who never said that. See, the US joint war plans estimated a home island invasion would actually have cost 40,000 dead. So where did Truman get the half a million number from? I guess we'll never know. Maybe he just misremembered the facts by a factor of 13. Or maybe he was lying to justify his actions. Who knows? Who cares? Because Truman also said if US Marines had died on the beaches of Japan, he would have had to face the righteous wrath of the American people. And that is a fair point. After all, even if we assume the Japanese did surrender because of the Russians, every day Americans were dying, and American high command simply could not have known that the Japanese would surrender without a home island invasion. Right? Well, maybe. In 1941, the UK cracked the German Enigma Code, which some have argued basically won the Allies the war. The breaking of Japan's military codes is a far less famous event. Japan in 1941 used a variety of codes from physical codebooks among naval ships to the Purple Machine, an Enigma variant used for the highest level communications by the government, and in 1941 the USA cracked it. With the UK's access to Enigma, it gave the Allies almost free access to all high-level information passed between the Germans, the Italians, and the Japanese, including a cable in 1944 when a high-level Japanese liaison to Italy confided that if Germany could not turn the tide of war, Japan would have to surrender. And what did Allied High Command make of this chatter? Well, in 1944, Winston Churchill cabled Joseph Stalin and told him that Allied intelligence was positive the Japanese would surrender if the USSR entered the war. And in 1945, Gen General Douglas Just Newcomb MacArthur said an invasion of Japan was unnecessary as the entry of the USSR into the war would trigger a Japanese surrender. In fact, the general consensus among the general staff was not that a massive bloody invasion of Japan was necessary. A lot of senior staff in 1945 agreed a landing on the home islands was completely unnecessary to compel a Japanese surrender. The Yalta and Potsdam conferences of 1945 had outlined a plan for the USSR to enter the war against Japan, taking all Russian territory lost in 1905, including a large chunk of China, which they didn't bother asking China about. It is still possible Truman believed the war could only end with the bomb. But essentially all of Allied High Command, even Winston, I don't care if it's an undefended city, I want you to level it, Churchill was convinced Japan's surrender was imminent, and that an invasion of the home islands would not be necessary. Which raised the question, then why did America drop the bomb? 
that is hard to say, but I think an analysis written by General MacArthur in 1945 is quite illuminating. MacArthur wrote to Truman that he believed the USSR and Japan would have little benefit from fighting each other, so the USSR would use the opportunity to strengthen its position. In other words, the longer the war continued, the greater the benefit to the USSR and the less to the USA. Which implies a significantly less sympathetic rationale behind massacring 200,000 people. Unfortunately, in the end, Truman did not leave a message saying, I did it for the lols, meaning it comes down to future generations to interpret these events based on the facts, however they see fit. Nationalists and jingoists will, regardless of facts, almost always view the evils of their group as justified, while pacifists and progressives generally won't. It seems likely, based on what we know today, that Japan had already decided to surrender. Whether the atom bomb had an impact on their timing is hard to say, whether the Soviets had an impact on their timing is hard to say. What we can say is the current popular story of the atom bomb is a myth. The story of it as a lesser evil to Operation Downfall is a myth. The story of the casualties of Operation Downfall is a myth. The story of the immediate effects of the atom bomb is a myth. The story that everyone in Japan was a fanatic ready to die rather than surrender is a myth. But the real question we always come back to, regardless of how we interpret the rest, was it wrong? And I think a US veteran summed it up pretty well when he asked, why do we ask if Nagasaki was wrong, but not Tokyo? That is all we have time for today. Thank you for joining me. Feedback can be sent to historicalhysteria at gmail.com and check the socials r slash historicalhysteria on Reddit and at Manic History on Twitter. But before I leave, let me leave you with this. The ancient Japanese capital of Kyoto was one of the original targets for the atom bomb. It was saved largely due to efforts of art historian Langdon Warner and Secretary of War Henry Stinson, who argued that destroying Kyoto would embitter the people. For the military, Kyoto was the prime target in Japan. Largely untouched, it was where Japan's last major functioning industry was located, as well as a major university hub. Stinson managed to convince Truman of its value by arguing it might weaken America's position in favour of the communists, but his true motivation may have been that he genuinely loved the city. He had honeymooned there in the 1920s. Hmm. The president taking a decision against military strategy out of fear of communism. I wonder if there are any other unnecessary or questionable decisions he made motivated by fear of communism. Today's main source is the book The Decision to Use the Atom Bomb and the Architecture of an American Myth by Gar Alperovitz in 1995, accessed through my local library but also available at the Internet Archive. The United States Strategic Bombing Survey, The Effects of the Atom Bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, June 30th, 1946, accessed through the TrumanLibrary.gov, and The Man Who Saved Kyoto from the Atom Bomb, accessed through the BBC, published 2015. Anyway, bye.